What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. This episode of the Wedgecast, I'm hanging out with Jim McCarthy. Jim McCarthy is just amazing, amazing man. He was a high-flying uh, businessman in the tech world and did some amazing work with some quite big companies. And then he got hit with a really, really tough situation being diagnosed with cancer, but then uses that as a way to really, really begin to understand what's his point, what's his purpose, and what's his passion here on this earth. He's written a book, he's a TEDx speaker, and just a guy who's out there to inspire and to lead and to motivate people to live a simple life. And his book is a, is called Live Each Day, A Simple Guide to Happiness, and he's just doing some phenomenal things. On this podcast, we dive into that. And I would say if you're looking to elevate the next stage of your life and say, what's the point and why am I here? He's a guy who can guide you there. So I would highly recommend taking a look at his content and listening to this podcast. Thanks, Don. I am sitting here with uh, Jim McCarthy. Jim, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. We're excited to have you. Oh, it's an honor, Matt. Thank you for your interest in, in having me on your show. I'm very grateful. Yeah, this is great. So you're coming from California area. I'm coming from the Michigan area. So uh, one of the things that I'm just excited to dive into is you have an incredible background. You have a, lived a lot of life in a lot of different avenues. But can you just give us a, lot, a little bit of background about your story and kind of what's led up to the man you are today? Sure. So, I mean, at a high level, I'm, uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. I uh, have a very loving mom and dad who are still alive and, and a couple of, you know, a couple of brothers and a sister Went to the University of Iowa and studied political science. Then I uh, had a chance to, to study in Germany for a year after college. And then I was an English teacher in Frankfurt, Germany for a couple of years. I was a business journalist in Madrid, Spain for a couple of years. 
and then moved to the Bay Area in 1991 and uh, was lucky enough to get into Stanford for business school and graduated from there in 96. And then I was lucky enough to get hired as employee number 258 at Yahoo in 1997, just as the whole dot-com boom was, was going crazy. So I'm very, very fortunate to have had that experience and pretty much spent 20 years in Silicon Valley doing different sorts of business roles, both in the U.S. and internationally. And I think what's, and, and there's a lot of people who would kind of fit that description, I think. I think part of what makes me a little bit unique uh, is that uh, six years ago, I was diagnosed with very early stage prostate cancer. And that was a big wake up call for me in my life. And when a doctor called me up and, you know, started talking about radiation and surgery and survival rates, uh, it really forced me to suddenly grasp my mortality in a way that I never had before. And I, I talk about this in, uh, in my TEDx talk, which is called What Cancer Taught Me About Happiness. So if any of your, if any of, uh, of your audience uh, searches on Jim McCarthy TEDx, What Cancer Taught Me About Happiness, then I think they'll they'll find that talk and yeah, and I'll make sure to, I'll make sure to include that in in the podcast too, so the listeners can can check that out. It's cool. a great video. Yeah. You nailed it. You, it was a phenomenal speech. I, I've listened to it a couple of times. It's awesome. Obviously, Thanks, very powerful stuff, and probably not all that easy to get up on stage and do that. But it, I mean, you you really nailed it. Was that was that your first time publicly doing that, or had you have done that before? Uh, no, I've done it quite a few times. So so after I got my diagnosis six years ago. I thought, geez, you know, what, what are my regrets? Uh, what do I need to change in my work life? What do I need to change in my personal life? What goals do I still have? How much time do I still have to live? And fortunately, my health seems to be very good six years on. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, and, I, and I met with a friend uh, soon afterwards who had, who had lung cancer at the time. And unfortunately, in the meantime, she's, she's passed away. But at the time, she said, Jim, when you get a cancer diagnosis, it doesn't matter whether you have two years to live or 20 years to live. It changes your life. Um, but then she went on to tell me about how she is able to mindfully really appreciate the simplest of things every day and live so intensely and fully. And she says, I wish we all could live like we have cancer. I, we, I wish everyone could live like they had cancer. And, and for me, that was just such an intense, powerful message from her, one that it's not a race to see who dies sooner. It's just the fact that um, realizing your mortality will help you live, live each day more fully. So that became the title of my book, um, Live Each Day, A Surprisingly Simple Guide to Happiness. Now, let me, let me just stop there and see if you have any questions or you want to check in with me on any of that. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of things I want want to unpack. But I mean, the story there is just absolutely phenomenal. And it's, it's funny how, you know, obviously, you, you jumped in right during the dot com boom, things started taking off, I'm sure you probably had a ton of career highs and lows. And that's one thing that I'd love to touch base on. So you as a Silicon Valley executive during the course of your career, you had probably some really, really high highs and some really, really low lows. So what would you say before you had the mentality of, uh, you know, being di diagnosed with cancer, what would you say was the high, you know, highs during those period of time? So as a younger version of Jim, what, what was it that was getting you excited? And then what was it that was getting you down and that, you know, feeling down about yourself, the, kind of the low moments during that, obviously, very fast paced lifestyle? What, what did that look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, Matt. So, so I, I, 
you know, based, based on what I sort of briefly said about the different jobs I've had in my life, you know, by the time I was working at Yahoo in 1997, I was born in 1963, so I was 34 years old and a little bit older than, than most of the people at Yahoo at the time, including the two co-founders of Yahoo, Dave, Dave Philo and Jerry Yang. Um, but to be able to be at a company uh, as a 34-year-old where the company is leading its industry, right? This is when the, the search engines and the internet portals were, were the big deal in the late 90s, really before Google started becoming very powerful. So to be at a company that was really leading its industry in a revolutionary technology with the internet, um, working with really smart, cool, fun, funky, innovative people in a very uh, classic, casual, fun, Silicon Valley kind of culture, um, having a real impact on millions, really hundreds of millions of people around the world with what Yahoo is doing. And, and then honestly making a lot of money from it as well because of stock options and, and what the Yahoo stock did in the, in the, in the first few years. Uh, I'm very, I mean, that's like winning the lottery. Um, and sure. so I'm, I'm very lucky to have experienced that even once in my life. And most people never get that combination uh, of fun, challenge, purpose, fulfillment, um, and it's lucrative all at the same time. So I'm very grateful to have at least experienced that once in my career. So um, I got to figure out the wording of this question, but up until the very day before you were diagnosed with cancer, I would imagine, now I haven't gone through that, but I would imagine even that one day changed your approach and thinking about everything. And then obviously as you gradually live life, Six years later, I'm, I would sure, I'm sure there's probably more, you know, more understanding and stuff like that that you've gone through. But up until that day, what would you say was your biggest purpose and passion before, you know, obviously that life-altering experience came through? What was your thing that was really getting you the most excited, most getting, you know, getting you fired up and out of bed um, and, and living that in your career up until that point? So, so I think that there's. Um there's there's always ways to think about what your personal relationships are and what your family life is and then sort of what your your career is what your work is outside of the home and these these often um affect each other very very directly one and the other so uh so you know i'm a father i have two daughters and from the minute my first daughter was born i think being a great father and being very committed to my family was was always very important and really my number one goal for for my life. Now, as for okay, how to put, you know, how to pay the bills and and bring home the bacon and and just make money to support my family. That's where the career came in. So, in terms of in terms of work, um, the the excitement or the highlight of what got me most passionate in work was was probably in probably in those 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 first few years at Yahoo because it was so exciting things were were changing so quickly and we we're just the company was wildly successful and and on top of that i mean you know we're now 20 years 22 years after i started at Yahoo but at the time you know the internet was really new i mean there are still people who are very skeptical about how big the impact was going to be so we really felt like we were pioneers uh, and evangelists for what the internet could do to improve people's lives. 
now. A lot's happened between, <laughs> between yeah, then sure. and now. <laughs> and, and even in the last few years, I think the, the view of social media has become much darker than, than even, you know, let's say three years ago. But if you, if you, if you, take, if you go back to 1997, uh, for, for those in your audience who even remember uh, what it was like back then, the internet was very new and very exciting. And so every, every day I would, I would roll out of bed and, and drive from Palo Alto down to Santa Clara where Yahoo's offices were, sit down at my desk and, and work from pretty much eight in the morning till eight at night, um, Monday through Friday, take off Saturdays and generally work all day Sundays. Yeah. And, um, and it didn't, it didn't really feel like work. It just felt like, God, I've got some cool stuff I want to do. It's going to have a great impact. The harder I work, the, the faster we move this along, the more success we have. And, and, and I think the, the company was really small. I mean, right, I was employee 258 worldwide. So you could see the impact you had really on a day-by-day basis as you were, I mean, I was a product manager, I mean, producer, but basically a product manager for Yahoo Classifieds. And then later I was doing international rollouts. So that that had me very excited. That was probably the highlight of my career in terms of doing stuff, which was really cool and exciting and fun. And I got to work with phenomenal people all all over the world. Really, that's amazing. That's that's such a cool story. So uh, this is just more out of the. So I mean, I've got a tech startup myself, and so I'm just kind of fascinated. With this. How did you pick that? You know, obviously, uh, knowing Yahoo, what Yahoo has become today, you made a great choice with a company that you joined on at the time. But what was it about it that you ultimately made you pull the trigger and say, yeah, this is the right company. I want to, I want to, you know, put my chips on for the next period of time. So, so after I graduated from business school uh, in 1996, I got a job at the San Jose Mercury news in sort of a management fast track program that they had, but this is a traditional big city newspaper, right? And, and I wanted to do internet stuff and they were actually, I think the first newspaper maybe in the world that had an online edition. So, uh, and, and it's, it, it's part, it was part of the Knight Ritter chain at the time. So it was high quality journalism is really a good paper. Um, but I wanted to do internet stuff and they said, sorry, Jim, uh, your first program is going to kind of be on marketing and marketing the newspaper. And so there I was in the heart of Silicon Valley in late 1996, trying to figure out how to sell more newspapers to <laughs> our readers. <laughs> And, yep, um, I, I, I see the transition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think I'll, I'll never forget this. And and your question kind of gets to this kind of pivotal moment. I remember sitting in my little my little office there, and I looked at what Yahoo had for classified ads. And you might know that the classified ads for a normal local newspaper, whether it's the the you know the help wanted ads, the job ads, the real estate listings, stuff for sale. Um, uh, cars for sale, right? The, all this classifieds was a huge cash cow for the newspapers. Yeah. And so I remember uh, looking at what Yahoo classifieds had and I thought, oh my God, you can put a picture of the car. You can put a nice long description of the car. You're not limited to two lines in the classified pages for, <laughs> for uh, you know, how to describe your car and it was all for free and i saw they were doing that for uh for cars for jobs uh i'm not sure if they had started on real estate yet 
But I just thought, wow, you know, the Internet is going to be doing this better, faster and cheaper than the traditional newspapers. And it blew my mind when I saw that. And so when I applied to Yahoo, they were looking for a, a senior producer to head up the, the classifieds team. And uh, and I applied and I was very lucky to, to get that job. But uh, but I got it. And then from there, leading that team, and I, I had really phenomenal colleagues, both on the engineering side as well as on the product management side. Um, out of Yahoo Classifieds, we created Yahoo Autos, Yahoo Careers, and I took a lead role on Yahoo Real Estate, which is actually a very tough industry. Um, and uh, I could talk about that a long time, but uh, it was it was it was very exciting to see a technology developing which was really going to disrupt multiple industries and uh and every and there's always kind of opportunities for that but one really has to kind of be dialed in and paying attention to what's going on and then be willing to take um take the risk now i don't i don't talk about this a ton in my book but uh but you know i certainly am a silicon valley guy with with lots of lots of stories about um my career and also when it comes to like meaning and purpose and fulfillment in, in one's work. Yeah. Do you, um, do you feel like at that time um, you had, you know, it sounds like, I mean, you've touched on this some already, but do you feel like at the time knowing what you know now you had fulfillment in your work? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, I think working at Yahoo in the late nineties was very fulfilling because we, it was a small company and you could have a big impact on the work that you did. And I, I believed in the mission of what we were doing. I mean, in a way we felt like we weren't working for a company, we were working for the internet. <laughs> and, and similarly, people sometimes say, they don't really feel like they're working for a particular company, they're working for Silicon Valley. They're working for what Silicon Valley is and what Silicon Valley can do in the world uh, for, for good, you know? And so to, to think, while we're making information available so a person can actually search for an apartment online or search for a home online to buy or buy a car and be able to do that much more efficiently or sell a car much more efficiently. So it's easy to kind of take these things for granted, but it was all very new 20, 22 years ago. And, and, and if you really feel like what you're doing is making your, the consumer's lives way better, it's excited. It's easy to get excited about that. And when people say, "Oh, I love, I love, I love your website. I love Yahoo. I've sold something. I met my. Oh, we also had Yahoo Personals. So, <laughs> so <laughs> we met we met tons of people who got married as a result of um, of Yahoo Personals. That's phenomenal. And, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. And so there was absolutely a lot of a lot of purpose. And 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 one thing I'll say, which I describe in the book, is that. Um, the purpose or the meaning that a person brings to their work is almost entirely just how they think about it. And there's all sorts of research on this, that a person could be a janitor or a cleaning person in a, in a school, for example, and they can view it as a, as a job, a career, or a calling. And it's really up to them to decide whether it's just for the paycheck or something that they care about, um, or if it's really deeply meaningful and purposeful based on how they think about it. And, and that's, that's a good, and I write about this in detail in the book, but that's a good message because basically, no matter what job you have or what role you have, what, what work you have, if you, if you think about it the right way, you can often find much greater purpose or meaning 
in what you're doing. If you if you really think creatively about, well, how am I helping people? How is that helping people? How is that helping people? Does does that make sense, Matt? Yeah, it absolutely does. And it's I'm I'm glad you brought that specifically up. One of the things that I had circled, underlined, highlighted all over my notes um, about your book is two two big things. Number one was the transition from a job to a calling. But Hmm. in the cool, the thing that I really like and value a lot about the way you said it was it wasn't, oh, I started hypothetically at Yahoo and then we started to get successful. And then that's when my job turned into a calling. But it was, no, this is my attitude going in day one, the impact, what I can see the vision here, the the influence that we actually have on on people, the, the message, the mission, everything we're doing that's where it's a calling. And then that just happens to be the work that I'm doing day in and day out. And so I love that attitude. And that's something that I would love for you just to dive in and, and, and how you ultimately came to that conclusion. But I think it's really uh, misunderstood, and, and at least in my eyes, and it, I'm part of a, a little bit younger of a generation. And it seems like so many people are chasing after this idea of I need to enter into a place that's a calling where it's more like, I know I need to readjust my attitude so that I can thrive, you know, strive for that. And so I, that's one of the things that I really loved about your book is it's like, it's just as much your attitude as it is what you're doing. Right. It's, it is just as much your attitude as what you're doing. Now, um, I'm glad you asked that because they're, they're both important, right? They're, they're both important. I mean, uh, Working at an organization where you deeply deeply believe in the mission of that organization, that helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And in, through the tough times, you can say, well, I really believe in the, the mission of this company. You can be providing a service. You can be manufacturing a product. Uh, you can take pride in the, the quality of work you do, whether you're, you're a carpenter or whether you're working on an assembly line in Michigan or whether you're an accountant, and you know you can find deep, take deep pride in all of those things, um, and and the mission of the organization. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I mean, meeting can be something as simple as, look, I need to pay the bills to support my family, so my kids can go to a private school and they can have a good opportunity, good education, and have a good opportunity in their lives. I mean, that's a that's a very simple thing. Now, I would hope a person doesn't hate their job for 40 years just sure. trying to put food <laughs> on the table for their kids. And, and, and kind of related to that is I know from my own personal experience that at times in my life when I've been excited about my work is when I'm unstoppable. When I am excited about what I'm doing, I find it meaningful for whatever reason. I am working hard. I am working long. I am being creative. I am networking with other people who are associated with this as well. And I do phenomenal work. Now, the very same Jim McCarthy, I've been in other roles where I didn't really care that much. I didn't really buy into the mission. I didn't see how what I was doing was making an impact or the company itself. I didn't really see like this great positive impact on what they were doing. And in those situations, I did not do well. I was very mediocre in the work I did uh, in those situations, because I just didn't care that much. So I think anyone who wants to do well in their career, they they need to try very hard to find something that is meaningful for them, however that is. And when they find that, when they dial into that, 
then they people notice it and it's much easier to get hired for a job because people sense and know that passion it's hard it's hard to fake that in a job interview yeah and and i've i've hired many people in my career and and i i and i'm looking for someone who actually uh it's like look if you're not excited about what we're doing in this organization that's fine but don't work here <laughs> yeah for both of our sakes just just go yeah go somewhere else where you're going to have more have more meaning to it. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. Does that did that answer that question? Yeah, it completely does. And it's uh, just so you know, you're phenomenal at transition and all the questions I want to ask. One of the things that I think you mentioned in both your talk and in the book, but you talk about um, have the courage to do work that affects other people. And so one of the questions that I wanted to ask was, what uh, at at what point in your life? maybe in a working context and personal or overlap of the two, did ultimately that statement of have the courage to do work that affects other people, when did that hit you? When did you feel like that's what I got to go do? So after I got my cancer diagnosis and I thought, gosh, you know, I, I've had all sorts of things I've always wanted to do and I've never quite had the courage to do them. And being a professional speaker, being a motivational speaker, Throughout my life, I benefited enormously from listening to sales training tapes and different sorts of audio programs and different sorts of training, whether it's from Wayne Dyer or um, uh, Brian Tracy has been phenomenal, Tom Hopkins, Zig Ziglar. These are all like classic sales training people that I used to listen to when I was driving between sales appointments here in the Bay Area in the early 90s. And so these are my heroes because they helped me so much from their wisdom, their experience, their, their teachings. And, and, you know, it's kind of good to stop every once in a while and say, who are my heroes? Yeah. And why are they my heroes? And, uh, and, and ultimately those folks get older and they, and they die. And then it's like, well, who's the new generation of people who's going to carry on helping younger people and sharing these stories and, and sharing this wisdom. And so I'd always thought, God, that is so cool. I, I, I'm so grateful for them doing this. And, and then when I got my cancer diagnosis, I thought, well, God, I've always wanted to be, uh, I, I mean, I actually, I was a teacher for two years in Frankfurt. I was teaching English and I love being a teacher. And I think by my nature, I'm, I, I love teaching and sharing stories. So after the cancer diagnosis, I thought, God, I've always wanted to be a motivational speaker. Uh, if I'm not going to do it now, when the heck am I going to do it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I was, I, mean, I, was, I was 49 years old at the time. It's like, okay, what am I waiting for? <laughs> I'm going to wait until I'm 59. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 You know? And, and so, and so that was like a real epiphany for me and getting the cancer diagnosis was like, well, geez, you know, I, I'm not messing around anymore. I've, I've got to do this. And I only have like three post-it notes on my monitor here at home, but one of them says, um, try and fail, but don't fail to try, right? Try and fail, but don't fail to try. And, and in the book, I talk about research on regret and, uh, and, and, and basically the message is that people who wish they wanted, wish they did something and they never do it. And then they get to an age where it's like, Oh, it's too late. I, I I'm 70 years old. I can't do this anymore. Those people feel really bad. Um, regret is a very, very bitter pill to swallow, but the people who 
for whatever reason, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or some other sense of urgency or a personal crisis or inspiration or an epiphany, whatever, the people who try something, even if it doesn't succeed, well, first of all, it might succeed, right? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So that's heaven, cool. heaven forbid it actually might turn, pan out. <laughs> yes, you know, you know, God knows I make the basketball team and, uh, <laughs> and suddenly I'm, uh, I'm playing basketball. So, uh, so one is, step one of success is you have to try. And even if you don't try, at least you know that you tried. Even if, even if you fail miserably, it's like, well, at least I tried. And, um, and it's, su it's such a simple concept, but many of us I know do not have the courage to try what deep down in our gut we really wanna do. And, and so the book goes into detail with a series of questions and writing activities for introspection so you can think about, God, what, what, what I do if I had five years to live? What would I do if I could actually make sure I was successful? What, what are those things that is part of the legacy that I want to have? What are the regrets that I have today? And what can I do going forward to turn that around and, and, and give it a try? Even if it, even it doesn't succeed, at least, at least you try. Yeah. One of the other guests on the show, his name is Bob Mesta and he, um, he set a death date. So literally he decided this is when I'm going to die. And huh. he said, here's all the things like, so his perspective was, um, he's got four kids. He's got 10 years left. If he sees them once a quarter, you know, that's 40 times he gets to see his kids left. And so when you put that number of times, the next time you say goodbye to your kid, it totally changes your perspective of how, you know, you hug them a little bit harder, you laugh a little bit louder, you go do things you otherwise wouldn't go do. And that, that mm. since then, and then also, you know, validating that through and throughout, throughout your book, I mean, that started to get me really thinking about what are the things that I'm sort of half-assing time in and time out with all the people in my life? And how mm. could I, to even, even, even turn the dial up one more degree, just to be more, much more intentional about that. I think that's mm -hmm. such a powerful way to phrase. I mean, I think that's amazing. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. Good. Good. And that, that's really cool. Uh, from, from the other person you interviewed that, that sounds, that sounds like a very powerful, uh, I mean, it's like, okay, 40 times I'm going to see these people again in my life. Nope. Now it's 39 times, 38 times. Um, changes that, changes everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and at the end of the book, I, I mean, I have a whole chapter on gratitude and one of the uh, exercises I give like 10 different things you can do to practice gratitude. And one is um, pretend that you're moving away from where you live 30 days from now and, and have that as a practice. Cause if, if uh, in Matt, sorry, what, what city do you live in right now? I live in Holland, Michigan. Holland. And, and did you grow up there? I grew up in Ann Arbor actually. Oh, and I hear Ann Arbor is great. I've never, I've never been there. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but if, if you had 30 days to live in Holland, Michigan, and then you were going to move away to, let's say, California, and you would never go back to Holland, Michigan, what, are the, what, what would you do in the next 30 days? Is there something that would obviously strike you, either a place you love that you want to go back to, to savor, or a, uh, a thing you've always meant to do that you've never got around to doing? Yeah, there are, uh, there are two places... Holland's pretty small town, so I think I've covered most of the ground. But there are two places I would certainly go back to if I knew that that was my last. That I, and and you stop and think about it. It's like I've got a free weekend coming up, and it's like why don't I just go do that now? Yeah, 
<laughs> and I mean, I live, I live in, I live in San Francisco and there's a lot of people who've never been to Alcatraz. They've never walked across the Golden Gate Bridge. They've never been to Golden Gate Park. They've never seen a Giants game. Uh, Warriors games are expensive. You know, it's hard to get tickets for that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so that might be prohibitive but, for other reasons. <laughs> but, but you see, many of us, we live our lives like we think we're going to live forever. And, and we are not. We absolutely are not. And I think that once you grasp that, then you can start living much more intentionally and which, with much more excitement and gusto. And, you know, it's, it's shocking how fast time goes by. I mean, I think of like, well, when's, when's the last time I was in, uh, you know, Yosemite, which is a you know, spectacular national park, right? Yeah. I don't think I've been there for 15 years. And it's like a three-hour drive from here. And, and so life goes by fast. And, and so part of the message of, of my book, Live Each Day, is to really remind people to live with this kind of awareness. And it doesn't mean it's always party time. You know, I mean, I talk a lot about the importance of purpose and work and how people are much more successful and much happier when they do find work, which is purposeful. Um, but, 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 but part of actually my, my happiness matrix is on the one hand, there's, there's purpose and, and what is meaningful and and makes us feel great. And that's kind of like the legacy you want to have. But the other part of my happiness equation really is, is what I call pleasure. It's having fun. It is, it's partying. It is taking care of our health. So we're not in pain. It is enjoying a sunset. And that has its place as well in, in what makes people happy. So, I think that's one of the questions that I really want to dive into, I guess, is just the next layer to that. So what does that specifically look like for you? And how did that transition? Like what, what for the, what for you is where you, hmm, how do I want to ask this question? If you, question number one, I want to ask in this topic is if you had the opportunity to spend say a minute or say an hour long podcast with somebody, what would be the one-liner, two-liner, or one, you know, snippet, pearl of wisdom that you would want them to think of you in that short period of time? So say you only had a little bit of time with somebody, but you had you left an impact on them. What was, What's that impact you would want to leave on them? The, the impact I, I would want to leave on them is that happiness is a skill you can develop. Right? Happiness is a skill you can develop. It doesn't just happen. It takes a little bit of awareness, a little bit of focus. But you can, you can absolutely boost your happiness through various science-based practices that you can do every day. And the practices that I talk about, uh, these are really like, each one is like a different chapter in my book. There's practices on forgiveness, so you can be at peace with what's happened in the past and be enjoying the present moment. There's practices on meditation, also so you can be at peace in the present moment and not be worrying about the future or hung up on the past. There's practices on affirmations, on how you train your brain for success, to think positively about things, because otherwise we tend to think negatively. Hmm. And then finally, uh, practices on gratitude, so that we focus on really intentionally thinking and realizing, wow, I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat. I have people who love me. I I have clean drinking water. Right. So, I mean, all of those, these are, these are very simple science-based practices that any of us, all of us can do starting right now and every day 
which, which have been shown to help people create their happiness. That, that would be my short summary. I love it. No, that's phenomenal. Um, so in your, uh, so say, say you had a, say you had a death date picked in your mind, what's still on your list that you got to get done? So the, uh, I, I just recently posted, uh, on my blog and also on, uh, on my profile on LinkedIn, an article called, uh, why not a bucket list for mindfulness? <laughs> and uh it's gotten more than 10,000 views on LinkedIn it's, it's it's been quite popular so there must be something resonating with a lot of people and the point is is that a lot of us have these bucket lists right things we want to do before we die and that that's that's great um i think it's really cool because it forces someone to think about well what 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 do i care about is it is it golfing in scotland is it volunteering in an orphanage in vietnam is it uh, climbing a mountain or is it doing a startup or is it having a, a, you know, a beautiful partner and two children who, who go to college and are happy people? You know, there's a, a million different things you could put on that bucket list. So most people tend to have bucket lists, which are all about running all over the world and doing cool stuff. And, uh, and what I thought is, you know, that's nice. But what I see people doing is they get so wrapped up in that that they don't even enjoy when they're doing what they're doing. Right. So, so it's only, so basically if I'm hearing you correctly, it's the idea that you pick all these extreme things that, Oh my goodness, if you ever get the chance to do that, you're living a cool life. But yet there's so many amazing things that aren't necessarily that, but yet still fantastic. And it, you know, that so far out there extreme thing you could be doing is taking away potentially from what the day in and day out of today. Exactly. And, and the, uh, I mean, the idea that something has to be extreme, often it's expensive, you know, like, like parachuting or from a plane, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, that, that might be remarkable. And no one would, most people wouldn't put on a bucket list. Uh, you know, I'm going to, when I walk down the street to pick up my wife at the bus bus stop later today, I'm going to, stop and look at the really admire the beautiful architecture of these Victorian homes here in my neighborhood that are 130 years old, <laughs> or I'm, I'm going to stop and literally look at a flower that's blooming right now because it's springtime or enjoy the smell of fresh cut grass when I walk by a park. Right. So, or look at some, look at really look at my, look at my wife and see the beauty of her smile and the beauty of her eyes when she's smiling and how her face lights up, right? So, so that's why I said, why not a bucket list for mindfulness? Because these are, these are mindfulness practices of just being here now and paying attention to the beauty of the simplest of things. And my friend Diane, who is dying of lung cancer, this is what she talked about. She said, hey, when I go to my son's lacrosse games and I see the blue in the sky and the green on the leaves and I hear the laughter of the boys running on the lacrosse field, I just have tears streaming down my face from just the pure, simple, intense beauty of that moment. And I wish we all could live this mindfully. I wish we all could live like we had cancer. So, and the beauty of that is that you don't have to have, well, you almost never have to have money to do any of these things, right? It's not like, oh my God, I need to save up $5,000 so I can climb Mount Everest. It probably costs more than that, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's on the cheaper end. <laughs> You know, and even like if, I, if I'm going to drink a beer, well, let me let me savor how the beer tastes. Let me actually stop and, and 
feel and enjoy that that flavor of the hops and the bitterness and the fizziness of the carbonation in something as simple as a beer rather than just slamming it while you're watching a basketball game and you know it's like okay you're watching the basketball game and you're drinking the beer but are you even enjoying either one of these yeah um does that make sense yeah it makes complete sense and so I guess out of, out of all that, in the in the little moments, the big moments, the extremes, the you know the small things, what is it for you that gets you out of bed in the morning the most? So uh, talking to you on a podcast, Matt. That, <laughs> that's what. <laughs> Love that. And I, I, it might sound like I'm a a, a sarcastic guy from the Midwest, uh, <laughs> and I am, but. But it, it gets me out of the bed in the morning if I can have a conversation with someone like you and uh, you're interested in what I've written, you're interested in the message of my book, you're interested in sharing that with your audience. And, you, you know, as, as a person who writes a book, it's, it's a bit of a lonely experience sometimes because you kind of hold up in your in your room or your office just writing, writing, writing. But then someone will say, wow, I, I you know, I read this. Uh, I, I read uh, eight, eight, 800 words out of your 70,000 word book. I read 80 words in a, on a post you did on LinkedIn yesterday. And it's just, wow, I really needed to read that. That really, I've been going through a tough time and I really needed to hear that message from you, Jim. And, and, and by the way, that's the beauty of the internet, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so to get that from someone who's on the other side of the planet, who, you know, I would never meet any other way. And I'm able to share one little article that I've exerted, I've taken out of my book. I love that. And so when it comes to purpose and meaning and fulfillment, you know, what I'm doing right now at this stage of my life, I'm 55 years old, I just published my first book, is that hopefully my book Live Each Day will be able to touch people's lives in a positive way. It might help people reduce their stress through a meditation exercise. It might help them realize that all the research on happiness indicates that people really are happiest when they invest in family, friends, and community, when they really work on their relationships. So that's much more important than, than having a million dollars. And to be able to share that message with people and have people realize, wow, this, this is a good approach. So if I, can, if I can help people's lives in that way, then I'm really delighted to have that sort of impact and that kind of legacy. That's that's a long-winded way of saying that's what gets me up in the morning. I think that's a perfect, perfect uh, bite size to to leave the show with. So, Jim, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. You absolutely nailed it. Phenomenal. And I think not only your book, but the man that you are, not only your talks, but just the way you conduct yourself, and the way you actually like in a humble way, but also somebody who's lived a lot of life. You, you have a way of just making people understand that, yeah, this whole happiness thing, we can we can figure it out. And I, I I love having you on the show. So thank you so much. I'm very grateful, Matt. I'm really very thankful for you. And I wish you continued success as you do what you love. You just keep at it and I know you'll do great. Thanks a ton. All right. Thanks, Matt. Take care. <laughs>